Welcome to the Club Soda Club. We're three friends, each with our own sobriety story. Sharing our personal experiences and what we've learned along the way about leading a new alcohol-free life. Hey, welcome to episode 10 of Club Soda Club. Uh, I am your scout master, Derek Bolin. I'm going to do roll call. Uh, Scott Graham. Present. Uh, special guest, Julie Robertson. Hello. Uh, and Jess is unfortunately not joining us tonight, but uh, it was a topic she had little to contribute to uh, due to neither drinking wine nor being a mom. Uh, but for those of you who are here tonight, we are going to be discussing wine mom culture, which is something that's definitely uh, or maybe I'm just more attuned to it now that I'm a sober person, but it definitely seems to kind of have exploded uh, in ubiquity over the, the past little while. Would you guys agree? Maybe. To, to a certain extent, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to chat about that. Uh, Julie is uh, joining us because she is both a newish, newish mom. How old's your son? Uh, my son is 14 months now. Oh, wow. I mean, you're still counting months, so that makes him. <laughs> yeah, just over that's a year. That's still new. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's twelve months in a year, Derek. In case you needed some help with that. I one. thank you. Thanks for breaking that down for me. I appreciate. It. I would have been lost. Uh, and Julie is also newly sober-ish. I want to say, completely sober. And completely sober. Yeah, I just don't know yet. I'm still in a stage of not knowing. Uh, whether it's a forever plan or um, it's definitely an indefinite plan for now. Um, no plans to start drinking anytime soon, but uh, not quite ready to say never, ever. Not non-committal sobriety, my favorite kind. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what led you, if you want to discuss what, what led you to kind of give up drinking, at least in the interim? Well, um, I mean, it's something that I had an idea I had sort of flirted with before and even tried in past. I remember um, maybe three years ago, I think I went about six weeks without drinking. Um, but then after I had been pregnant and had my son and had been, um, you know, breastfeeding through all of that, that was, you know, a good... 15 months of kind of not forced sobriety, but you know, when you're breastfeeding, you can have a bit to drink, but not a lot, you know, one to two drinks, um, at most over, you know, the span of a, an evening. Um, and it just had a lot to do with my son and trying to sort of keep up with him and be present for him. Um, and so the idea, I guess, had been in the back of my mind, but just at some point became something that I decided I was going to do. And, and even that's not totally true. I don't even know that there was like a decision point of like, okay, now from now on, I'm, I'm not going to drink anymore. It just sort of um, happened one day, really. I was going to say you, you made the transition from like kind of unconscious sobriety to conscious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and, and do you think that's yielded po positive results for, um, you know, obviously your, your relationship with your son, but, but yourself in general? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's a big part of kind of my feelings about the topic of wine mum culture in general, because um, a, a lot of the reasons that led me to choose not to drink, I think are a lot of the same reasons that lead people or especially, you know, new moms or moms um, to rely on alcohol a little bit. And that is that the whole experience is just such an overwhelming shit show of emotions and work and lack of sleep. And it's just such an intense period of time um, when you, in many ways, as much as there's support out there, you just feel so alone in it sometimes. And so I think it was really easy for a while to sort of, you know, look forward to a glass of wine at the end of the day um, to get through that. And then eventually uh, I guess I just came to a realization that I could either, you know, continue using alcohol as kind of a coping mechanism and an unsustainable one, I guess, one that really wasn't helping in the long term, or, you know, make the shift to to just cutting it out of my life entirely. Um, and so, so other benefits, I mean, it's hard to say because, you know, when I hear you guys talk on other episodes about the benefits of like health and, you know, you have more time for yourselves and other activities and, and um, better focus. You, still, like, you don't I get those things because you still things. have a child. I'm not sleeping. So, um, but I just, I kind of think of it almost as survival. Like, I really don't know that I would, I would have survived the last um, year or, you know, the last five months that I've been not drinking, uh, four months, I guess, um, if I had been drinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that, the trap of wine mom culture is that they want you to think the opposite, right? Whoever's marketing alcohol to people, they want you to think that you have to have it to deal with those things. And I think what you're saying is that it might actually be better the other way. Yeah. And I think um, it's maybe worth noting that when I was thinking about cutting out or cutting down on, I think it probably started as cutting down on um, alcohol. And, and for me, it truly was primarily wine was kind of my, um, my go-to drink. Uh, I really am not a hard bar person at all. And, you know, I, I would have the odd beer for taste on a patio in the summertime, but, but primarily it was wine. And, and at the same time that I was thinking I should, I should cut back on wine and, and wanting to stop using it as, really as a coping mechanism. I also did the same thing with um, treats like, like food treats, like chocolate or croissants or anything like that. And I, so before I cut everything out or before I cut anything out completely, my first thought was anytime my thought process is I'm going to have this because I really deserve it because of the day I've had, then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go do something else instead, go for a walk, whatever, go, you know, for a drive in the car, give Angus, my son to my husband and go do something else, whatever I'm going to do. Um, but if my thought process is something else, like just, I'm really, you know, any, any other reason I'm celebrating with friends, I'm doing this, then, then I'll allow myself to have it. Um, so yeah, it was kind of both of those things. It was really more that thought process that I wanted to cut out first, um, and that reliance on things. And then ultimately I went back to croissants <laughs> and cut out the food. <laughs> exactly. 
Shout out to croissants because like, I mean, I'm, one, I'm right one, there with one, you. One, one out of two ain't bad. So <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard um, of anyone how often uh, boning somebody in traffic after having too many croissants. So I think you're okay. <laughs> that's that's a perfectly valid point, Scott. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting that you approached it that way, Julie. Like, how often would you say, uh, if you had to estimate, like, how often were did you immediately default to I need these things either to reward myself for the day I had or to cope with the day I had? Um, uh, alcohol a couple times a week, maybe I was never a, a huge drinker. And I'm, I always say I'm like my, my, um, cheapness <laughs> really leads me to have better habits. Frugality. Frugality. Yes. Thank you. Um, but probably two, maybe three times a week, but probably two times a week. Um, with the, with the treats, like it could be all actually on mat leave, probably every day around 10 or 11 AM, uh, you know, you're going for a walk. And at the time I was really living in the center of Vancouver where there was amazing coffee shops everywhere. Um, and it really actually got to the point where I was like, Oh, croissant, another croissant. (laughs) (laughs) Croissant again. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I think it's more the, it was more that, um, that, that reliance on something else. Um, and then also, I guess what that kind of took away from my presence and, and, um, ability to kind of navigate and actually, um, experience all of the emotions, highs and lows of being a parent, um, you know, because there are so many crazy, heartbreaking, heart bursting moments. Um, like even just tonight, actually, in the last two nights, my son has now, I was still breastfeeding him morning and night and he's sort of weaned himself. He's just in the last two days been decided that he's totally uninterested in that. Um, and it's like, I don't know if you can understand that feeling like I'm sure some people can but I'm not sure it's just such a heart-wrenching but also proud moment when your kid is growing like that and and I just and I'm just like okay well if I was just waiting for the next you know waiting for him to fall asleep as soon as possible so I could go have that glass of wine like would I really be sitting in this emotion and what this is feeling like yeah, that's a great point. And I think a lot of people do kind of rob themselves of, of those experiences because um, they are focused on on that reward or that light at the end of the tunnel or whatever the the carrot is that they're dangling in front of themselves uh, to, to reward themselves or to cope with getting through the day um, mm-hmm. that it does end up robbing them of, of feeling a lot of those things. Um, I will say that uh, I'm not a mom, but uh, for uh, my experience as a new dad after Noah was born. And that was when um, my drinking really kicked into overdrive. Like that was when, I mean, I, I was, I was, was it, and I think that was just a coping mechanism because I was like, um, I needed to, I don't, I don't know what it was like thinking back. I'm like, I don't know if it was the need for me to like reclaim my, my life back or be like, Mm -hmm. you know, this kid isn't going to change me. I'm still going to be the fun, fun party dad. Um, and, and it was, uh, or if it was just me of of coping with the, the shock of like, holy shit, now I have this like a little life that I'm responsible for. Um, and I, I feel like, uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm not a guy who likes to live with a lot of regrets in his life, but I look at, at the way I was during Noah's, you know, first two years on this earth. And it was like every weekend, uh, I was out getting shit faced with my friends instead of being there and experience, experiencing those moments with him. And it's, that's definitely something that, that sticks with me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the exact same boat. And I think my kid is, she'll be 10 in February and we quit drinking around the same time. So I rode that bus for quite a while and I'm surprised <laughs> that uh, everybody's still around. <laughs> still stuck around. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was going to say and go for a while there, Derek, but yeah, I was going to say you, you and your kid quit drinking at the same time. Is that what it sounded like? Yeah. She was a real problem drinker. That kid. <laughs> um, no, my other kid, Derek. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dad? You. Yeah, but I think you know, I think that's an interesting point. And I know we haven't really touched on like wine mom culture yet as a topic, but but I don't doubt that that um impulse from new dads to exactly as as you said, Derek, to kind of um uh reassert their sort of independence a little bit is a is a fairly common trend because it's certainly one that I've seen in um, people within my own life, not so much my husband, I have to say, but, um, but certainly, uh, husbands of, and partners of friends of mine. Um, but, but that's where wine mom culture sort sort of, and the critique of it sort of falls down for me because there's no conversation around that with dads, you know, like we are taught, we're talking about our, our mom spending too much time drinking, our mom spending too much time talking about drinking, um, but like the reason why no one's talking about dads as drinking is because they're not even in the house when they're doing it. <laughs> like the yeah. mom is having the glass of wine at the end of the day after she's been looking after the kids all day and the kids are in bed. Like the dad's out with his friends. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 That was true. I, I wanted to preface this episode by saying that like when we're critiquing wine mom culture I, I really want to like make a conscious effort and steer clear of, of critiquing moms who are drinking uh, or even who partake in that because, um, you know, I, I can't even begin to relate because like I look at the way I acted uh, as a new dad and like I didn't have to birth a child. I wasn't staying at home with this child and isolating myself from my friends and family. I didn't have to give up my job and I still had to go out and get shit faced every weekend just to cope with these changes in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to make sure that we're like, we aren't critiquing moms at all. This is more of like a look at just how fucking cynical, uh, the alcohol industry and alcohol marketers are. Um, and Julie, you made a good point. Cause with dads, I kind of feel like, um, that's something that's been entrenched in, in popular culture and in society for a long time. Like you have, you have the drunk dad, you have the man cave, you have the beers after work or going out for, for drinks with the boys while the wife is at home dealing with the kids. Um, and, and, and it feels like that's, that's been, that's something that's been normalized for a very, very long time. Um, and then maybe when, when that well started running dry a little bit, the alcohol industry was suddenly like, well, you know who we can prey on now is this very vulnerable population of, uh, of, moms in general and new moms specifically who, um, you know, I, I did some research for this, but there are like, there are some really eye opening stats around how, 
socially isolated new moms feel and how lonely they are and how they not only kind of have to like readjust their entire social lives, but they're, they're basically transitioning from like, they just feel completely removed from the previous life they had up until mm-hmm. and removed from their identity. Um, and this is something I saw with, uh, my ex, she, she went through it, uh, after she gave birth to Noah it was basically like, well, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore other than a mom and caring for this child. Um, and, and that's a big fucking thing to deal with. Like you essentially lose your identity. You have to give up your job. You, you know, lose touch with a lot of your friends all at the same time. Um, so it's not really any wonder that, uh, that alcohol marketers would look at that and be like, fuck, do you ever need a drink? Like, look at all the shit you're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah, I had a really cynical view of uh, <clears throat> of wine mom culture uh, before we brought it up as a topic uh, to talk about on this podcast. And after talking to a few people about it, it really sort of quickly changed my point of view on it to being more of a, a targeted marketing thing as opposed to an actual um, uh, issue with a culture within moms of, of wine moms. I think that that targeted marketing exists for moms. It exists for teens. It exists for men. It exists for rich people. It exists for poor people. It exists for everybody. And, uh, this is just one area where the alcohol industry has really found something that they can lock in on because there's a lot of almost peer pressure behind it. So, yeah, they found a really successful way to really screw people over. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, you know, it's fair to say that um, a lot of moms participate in that um, kind of um, chatter, I guess. It's, you know, especially on social media, there's a, there's a lot of memes, there's a lot of meme sharing. Um, so I don't know, it, I, I, you know, I... I guess it would take some research to kind of trace the origins back and see when did this really start to explode? And was it a, an organic growth of that type of um, way of talking within, um, you know, communities and circles and then the alcohol industry capitalized on it or was it the other way around? Um, But I know that in my own experience, the, you know, the words, I really need a drink tonight or um, can't wait for that bottle of wine tonight. Um, don't aren't necessarily linked at all at, to whether or not you're consuming alcohol that night. It's like become this very easy, almost lighthearted way of saying, of reaching out to people and saying, today has been so hard and I need your support. I need your, even if it's just, you know, likes and comments on a social media post, are you saying, you know, another mom saying, I totally hear you, you know, today's been tough for me too. It's been a really, I think, easy way for people to access that type of support mm-hmm. um, from their friends and family without having to post some sort of, you know, very vulnerable or revealing post about what's actually going on and what they're actually feeling. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like shorthand. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's a really, really good analogy. I like that a lot. And you do see it like just scroll through your Facebook feed and uh, yeah, it's everywhere. That's uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, it's not. Yeah, it's not fantastic, but you're dead on. Um, it's, it's a great take. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And you, 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 do you guys remember that show, the real housewives of whatever there was, oh, a Van- yeah. there was a Vancouver, <laughs> the, the one, many right? shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was a Vancouver version of that show. And one of the, you're right. You're, you're right. The women, real house right now. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I did some research. Um, one of the women on that show launched her own wine and it was called wine o'clock. Do you guys remember that? I do. And it became like this thing that it's wine o'clock. And that's the first time I remember hearing that term. And that's like part of the marketing. And it just felt so like cringy that it was a woman marketing this to other women that they, it's like, I don't know. I, uh, that drove me nuts. Plus I didn't really like that show, but anyways, that's a story for another podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's a very entertaining show, but I think yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> it's not necessarily the best source for model behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. What? But I mean, again, I think, you know, what that's capitalizing on is the idea of finding a space of a minute within your day for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that is what disappears completely. Um, you know, when you're, I, I, I'm going to say a new mom, cause that's my experience so far, but probably as they grow older as well, it's, it's, um, you know, my mom often jokes about when, when I was a kid and when, you know, my parents were, um, looking after three young kids, they had three under three, I think at one point, um, and my mom, my, my dad would come home from work and be, uh, you know, so tired and grumpy from his commute home through traffic. And my mom would be like, are you kidding? You're so lucky. You got to sit in traffic. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. I would kill to sit in traffic. That was an argument um, that played out many times in, in my own relationship for yeah. sure. <laughs> it's like, so it, it's like, you know, that wine o'clock is like, okay okay, ladies, you know, here's a time when you're going to get to have this luxurious moment to yourself. Um, and, and I guess going back to why I, why I decided to stop drinking it, it's definitely not in any way, shape or form. I don't think anyone can argue it's the healthiest way to find that space for yourself. Um, but sometimes it really feels like it's the only option. Um, so, you know, when people are like, oh, why don't you go to a yoga class or, you know, all of these things are just impossible for so many reasons. Um, and especially like I, I am lucky in that I have a, a, a very active partner in parenting, um, but many women don't. Men, and some people are and, and some men don't either. Sure, of course. Um, but many people don't necessarily have that balance or that support. Um, and so. It, it is, as you say, Scott, it's, it's true. It's, it's a vulnerability that then people are capitalizing on to profit. And as Derek has heard me say many times, capitalism is really the root of all evil. Unless <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyone wants to sponsor us for this podcast. Yeah, then we like, yeah, we yeah. like, we, we like, great like capitalism. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to jump in here really quick and sort of dogpile on the uh, shitty husband bandwagon because, uh, <laughs> I cannot stand uh, when men don't support their partners and it happened. Like, let's be honest here, guys. It's mostly men that are the pieces of shit in relationships. Now I'm not absolving women who are pieces of shit, but 
the majority of absentee parents in relationships and in families are men. And that is, I think, a huge reason why we've seen an uptake in uh, the wine mom culture, whether it's actually resulting in uh, people drinking more or not, like who knows, but it definitely, you see it more, you see it as an escape and it's because men suck. They talk about watching their kid and they call it babysitting. babysitting. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's, that's, oh my that's God. always <laughs> just shut up. You're, you're a parent. You're not babysitting. You should have that kid just as much as your partner does. I don't give a crap if you work however many hours a week, you come home, you're tired. No, no, you, you are a parent. You signed on for this. You did the fun thing that made the baby come out. You got to deal with all the shit that happens afterwards. And if your partner has to get shit faced every night after the kid goes to bed because you're an idiot, that's on you. Anyways, I'm done ranting. Carry on. That was that was a great rant. And yeah, I think I think that's tied back to like uh, for some fucking reason these these traditional gender norms still persist, and and a lot of men. I, sorry, I just want to I want to jump back in here and just say that I was that shitty parent in the past. So go me. Oh, yeah. You also. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great that you can take accountability for it. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's like this this uh, this uh, like uh, longstanding belief that like, OK, you know, after a couple has a child, the man's responsibility is to continue going to work and to be the breadwinner and to provide for the family. And. Uh, the woman's responsibility is to maintain the household and take care of the kids. And uh, even now in a world where, you know, you have two working parents for whatever fucking reason, it's it's still kind of this um, this it's almost like an anachronism, like it, it doesn't really meet the the reality that we live in anymore. But it's still this this expectation that exists. Yeah, and I think I, I kind of, again, my, my kid is a, is a male, <laughs> as far as I know so far, until he's uh, old enough to tell me otherwise, if he needs to. Um, but I, I, so I have hope that, you know, as each generation goes, things are shifting. Um, and so when he, you know, again, my husband is very involved. Um, there's still probably a natural or uh, imbalance there, but it's much lighter than, than previous generations. And when you think of, of, you know, his influences, um, you know, his mom was the stay at home mom who looked after all of the child rearing and the running the household, very, you know, kind of typical of that generation, I guess his father would work long hours and had the, you know, good paying job and all of that. And that was kind of his responsibility. And so, I do think about, okay, I hope as Angus watches Justin, my husband, and, and how he is going to work every day, but he's also coming home and helping to cook dinner and helping to do stuff around the house and taking him to, you know, soccer practice when he gets old enough for that sort of stuff. Um, and seeing me go to work every day, um, that, that when it comes time, if Angus decides and ends up having children of his own, that it'll be, you know, an entirely different partnership for their generation. Yeah. yeah and so. and I think that's the only way we're going to get there, right? Is by um, you know, having 
having the, uh, these shared responsibilities in the household, making it apparent to kids and, and really modeling that behavior um, that, yes, both both mommy and daddy work. They can both both be very career oriented. They can both give a shit about their jobs and then they can both show up uh, and and be present and divide the responsibilities in in the household and caring for the child um, in a in an equitable way. Yeah. 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 I um, uh, so my my wife uh, is currently off work on long term disability because she has a back injury. And I know it's really been hard for her to sort of lose that independence, too, of not having somewhere to go every day. Um, mm-hmm. Not not I've, she had a she had a great job um, uh, not having that income. And, you know, we don't necessarily need that income, but like she felt uh, I don't know. It just gave her more of a sense of purpose. But I think at the same time, um, she's seen the benefit in our daughter of having a parent that's around to take her to school and pick her up and and all that stuff. And man, it's hard to uh, it's hard to get upset about. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I kind of lost my train of thought, but, but basically like the, I think, I think the stay at home parent is still really important, but it's just so damn hard to do now because everything's so expensive. So uh, it, you got it's gotta be more of a team effort than it's ever been in the past. And I think a lot of, a lot of couples have a really hard time making that happen. Yeah. Um, um, God, thing- do you have one, you said you have a daughter. Do you have any other kids or just the one daughter? I have uh, two chihuahuas that. Uh, <laughs> well, they're probably, basically probably more high maintenance than the actual child. It's yeah. up there. They're up there. One of them does not poo outside ever. What? <laughs> oh my god, Derek. <laughs> He's, what? Yeah. So we have like he basically has a fucking litter box and he shits in it. It's amazing. I mean, I get it. I would. Yeah. I I definitely yeah. do not poo outside. So yeah. Uh, yeah. He's such. He's such like. He's such a good dog, but he just is like, nope, sorry. He'll go outside and pee. Yeah, no problem. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. All right. This is now a podcast about yeah. Scott's dogs. Uh, <laughs> podcast about Chihuahua <laughs> shitting in my house. So one thing we're kind of <laughs> overlooking is the uh, the social component as well, right? Like I know I know a lot of moms who have like Wine Wednesday and that's the thing. And it just happens to have that alliteration um, and it's something that they look forward to all week because they can get together with other moms and drink wine. Um, and I was listening to this. Uh, what was it? I think it was Dak Shepard's podcast. Um, and he was talking about his experience and why he drank. And it was basically the only the only way he could go out and connect emotionally with other men uh, which is why it's like you could get drunk and you could go out and you could hang out with other guys who are also drunk and you could, you know, express your feelings and talk about shit that you cared about. Uh, and the rest of the time you didn't have the opportunity to do that. Uh, do you think that's something that's playing out with moms as well, who kind of, uh, isolate themselves in their homes with their kids, um, and their, their responsibilities. Do you think that they're kind of turning to alcohol, uh, as an excuse uh, or a motivation to to connect with other people as well. I don't know. I mean, I think I think there's I think that that issue is one that is so unique to men because it what's so tied into that is the uh, 
that the whole idea of toxic masculinity and how, um, you know, to be a man is not to share your emotions and not to share your feelings. Um, and even in some circles or in some, you know, in past and probably still in some communities and cultures, um, to, that you wouldn't want to go out advertising, talking about, you know, things with your kids or troubles with your kids, because that's not what a man is. You wouldn't talk about your kids at work, things like that. So that, that need of alcohol to be able to share feelings, I think is in general, not really, um, an an issue that as women, we generally have to deal with. And obviously I don't want to, um, generalize too much, but, um, you know, we are more socialized to share our feelings with each other. There's kind of a, often an inherent, uh, sisterhood type thing that exists, especially when you are talking about issues like motherhood or even like trouble with men dating wise, um, that kind of exists when, when you're talking about those types of issues with each other, um, It's almost more of the fun aspect, I think. I think that when women want to really get into the emotional side of parenting and being a new mom, I don't think that we need alcohol as a lubricant to be able to do that. It's more the come let loose, let's have fun, um, let's have a drink and toast and get giggly and and laugh and talk about, um, you know, something that's not our kids. Um, that would kind of be my experience, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone. Okay. So question for you, Julie, newly sober new mom, um, yeah. other than, than croissants, how, how, does, <laughs> uh, how does someone in your situation still, still find ways to, to feel like you're, uh, letting loose or, um, you know, in, enjoying yourself, uh, when you remove yourself from the the family environment? I don't know that I did have outlets, um, while I was on maternity leave. I mean, I could say, I'm not saying that I never took time away from baby, although time away from the baby was rare. Um, you know, there was even just all these physical things that come into play. So like Angus, for instance, wouldn't take a bottle, wasn't great at sleeping. And so all these things kind of add up to it's, it's really not possible for me to get a babysitter, you know, and he can stay if I need to feed him, he can stay with my husband for a certain number of hours before I've got to come home and actually be with him again. Um, so I would say, honestly, in the first year, almost nothing. Um, I would go for a walk either with or without uh, Angus. And that was, that was kind of the biggest relief that I would get if the baby was in a stroller and <laughs> it's like a bit of separation <laughs> from them. Um, and, uh, and now that I'm back to work, um, it's a whole suite of new challenges, but definitely it definitely gives me that new or that renewed sense of having um, a life or a mind or concerns even you know issues drama all of it that's usually annoying it's kind of like oh it's nice I have my own world now that's outside of being a mom or being part of this family and you can detach that from I mean you don't you don't have to drink or like anchor anchor that life around 
alcohol, whereas I think uh, for a lot of people that that is the first thing they turn to. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's a whole, it's adding a lot more responsibilities and a lot more um, stress and, and worry to your day, right? So I, I don't know that um, I would have been able to start sobriety now. Um, I think I, I had some space to do it while I was on mat leave, but, and now I'm already in a routine of, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I I don't know that I have like activities or certain things that I do for self care so much as, um, I just have more energy throughout the day in order to, um, maintain a relative equilibrium through different types of challenges, whether at work or at, at home. Um, I mean, I do, you know, I like, I play soccer. Um, that's about it. I watch Netflix. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Netflix rules. <laughs> um, do you guys want some stats? I did, I did some research yeah. here. Um, so Scott, you made a comment earlier about you didn't actually know whether drinking or more alcohol was being consumed by women specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, it is conclusively, uh, among women in Canada, yeah. risky drinking, which is defined as having four or more drinks on one occasion at least once a month, is on the rise. Uh, in 2018, Canada's chief public health officer's report on the state of public health uh, identified alcohol use in women specifically as one of the most pressing concerns of our time. And from 2011 to 2017, deaths attributed to alcohol have increased by 26 percent among Canadian women. Uh, well, among men, uh, it's just increased 5% over the same time. To be fair, we were dying a lot faster already. So yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a very high bar. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, not, not a lot of improvement there. Um, around 5.3 million American women suffer from alcohol use disorder, uh, according to the national national Institute for alcohol abuse and alcoholism. Uh, what else did I got here? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, 5.3 million American women. Uh, 90% of new mothers feel lonely after having children. Oh, sorry, 90% of mothers, period, whether they're new or not. Uh, and 54% feel friendless uh, in the immediate time uh, after giving birth. Uh, and between 2002 and 2013, the number of women who demonstrated problem drinking, uh, including alcohol abuse, uh, soared by 84%. High risk drinking among women increased by 58% over the same period. Jeez. So. Saving those till the end to discredit everything we've said so far. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't think like drinking is, is on the rise uh, with women. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it is a direct, there is a direct correlation, um, between, uh, motherhood and the emotional, uh, emotional and social impact of that and how much alcohol is, is being consumed by mothers. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I, I think, and then the, the other flip side and you, you touched on this, uh, earlier, Julie, is that, um, alcohol is now, and it fucking blows my mind, but alcohol is, is presented particularly towards women, uh, as part of a self-care regimen. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, you hop in the bath with a glass of wine or, or have a glass of wine to chill yourself out or uh, go do yoga and drink wine while you're doing yoga. Or yeah. um, so you have all these uh, otherwise legitimate, you know, uh, self-care or health and wellness practitioners um, and they're pushing alcohol, too. Uh, which like honestly like boggles the mind when you think about it. Just sort of sort of on topic, sort of off topic. I had a friend today tell me that his doctor he prescribes him Ativan uh, to help him because he's a nervous flyer. And he said if the Ativan isn't working fast enough, take it with a shot of whiskey. Oh my gosh! I was like, you Sorry, need a new doctor. doctor. Said this? You, yeah, yeah. Like you need a different doctor, man. And he's like, no, I love my doctor. Anyways, well, yeah, given it, given advice like that, free out of it or just <laughs> paid out of it, I guess. Please, <laughs> please don't call not. the podcast asking us where this doctor is. We won't tell yeah, you. Yeah, we, we will not. Um, I'm curious. It's, it's interesting that um, that the rates of drinking and the rates of uh, um, abuse of alcohol and the rates of death are rising um, because, you know, everything we've talked about in terms of uneven workload and and participation from both sides of the parenting team. I mean, even the, even in, even though there are still some differences there, I mean, you know, that's been getting better. So compared to our parents' generation, you know, like most fathers are much more active and much more willing participants than in our, in the actual job of parenting. Um, than in our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation. And sometimes I, like, this may be a kind of a controversial thing to say, but sometimes I wonder if it has to do with um, less with the what's actually happening and more with the difference between expectations and reality. So what I mean is, you know, when I, before I became a parent, I very much expected completely equal partnership. We would have completely equal, you know, it's 2019. Um, there's no reason why I would be more on call as a parent than my husband would be. There's no reason why I would be, you know, the one who would need to think about what foods we need in the house in order to be able to provide meals for the baby, um, things like that. And, and as active as he is, there's still a little bit of an imbalance and um that was a oh, very hard for me to reckon with as as a feminist I guess and and looking back and, and then also looking back at how I had thought about uh, working moms in my workplace and and realizing just how unfair some of those um thoughts or judgments I had had were but I guess I, I just I just find it curious that even though we're we are kind of getting better in terms of equality in the home, um, at the same time the alcohol is alcohol use is on the rise. So what's the phenomenon that's actually driving it then? So I have a theory, um, <laughs> and, and it's well, while. while those those roles are now more equal in the home itself. I think. Um, I think something that's that's kind of collapsed in a big way is uh, 
our our sense of community like i it, on like the the saying used to be it takes a village to raise a child um mm-hmm. I, I do not know many people that that have villages anymore so you might have this uh this these two parents in this single family unit that are dividing uh duties more equally but I think a lot of those gaps used to be filled by uh, neighbors or extended family or, um, you know, other other caregivers in the neighborhood or or friends that people had. And I don't know that a lot of people have that anymore. I know when when Courtney and I had Noah, um, we were the first people in our circle of friends, basically, to to have kids. There were some that had kids a few years before us. Um, and those were the ones who knew what to do and they would, they would bring us like lasagna. They would bring us meals by, they would come for visits. They would like hold the baby so that we could sleep. Um, but outside of that, nobody had any fucking idea what, what to do with us or what to do with our kid. Um, and I, I think that, uh, at the risk of sounding like, Hey, you kids get off my lawn. (laughs) I think that like, (laughs) I, I think that, that, that community support has, uh, eroded. Like even now I, I've lived in this building for, uh, a full year and maybe this is just my experience, but I'm a pretty social guy. I cannot tell you the name of a single one of my neighbors who, who live on my floor. Like I just, I, I couldn't do it. I don't know who they are. Yeah. I, I think, I think you have a point there. I know a couple of my neighbors, but not super well, but, um, we know quite a few of the parents now uh, from our kids' school, but that's only because Lindsay's super involved and she's the president of the pack and all that stuff. Oh, is she really? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's a real go getter. <laughs> but uh, I also kind of feel like the parental equality thing is a bit of a false positive. Like I don't think that it's as prevalent as we think it is i think in the three of us probably surround ourselves with like-minded individuals in our friend circles and whatever but you all you you always have those friends that are sort of outliers that you don't really see anymore and you're like oh yeah those people are the people we're talking about where the dad doesn't help and whatever i i honestly feel like you know your confirmation bias is the people around you but the broader population I still feel like that imbalance is still pretty heavily skewed towards the woman does the housework and looks after the kid and the man goes to work and whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think culturally in, in Canada, even it it can be um, in Canada, it's probably weighted a little more towards equality because we do have things like you do have the year of maternal or, or parental leave. Uh, that can be split between the the mother and father. Um, and you do have maybe a more equitable approach to to child rearing. Um, whereas in the States, I, I don't know that you would find that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and in, it depends in Canada on like now, we actually live. have, um, in Canada, starting last year, they have five weeks of uh, p- uh, paternity leave. So it's, it's specifically for, um, now I'm going to mess this up. It's, it's either specifically for the father. I think it's specifically for the partner who isn't the mother, if that makes sense. So that it, it includes, you know, it's, um, 
uh, it recognizes same-sex couples as well. Um, so the, the partner who's not the primary, I can't remember exactly how it's worded, but anyways, there's these five weeks of designated time for that individual. Um, and they've been doing that in Quebec for years. And there's, there's studies to show that, that just those five weeks, even if the other parent is taking a full year, um, just that five weeks in terms of um, their understanding of um, how much work goes into a day with a child and also the social stigma at work. Um, it leads to both parents being more involved on an ongoing go forward basis when it comes to things like having to leave work for doctor's appointments with the kids or daycare closures or anything like that. Um, it just those five weeks alone that are protected, um, you know, has all sorts of benefits for the kids and for both parents as well. And, and for the workplace too. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting. So and you said um, this was implemented last Last year? Yeah, so I think ba- we missed it, but I think baby's mm. born as of March 1st, 2019, or I'd have to check on the dates, but yeah, very recently implemented in Canada. I got to so, have another kid. That's, yeah. <laughs> so, so my daughter was 14 and a half weeks premature. Oh, wow. And she was in the hospital for three months before she was able to come home. And I just had to go back to work. Which, man, if they had any kind of paternity leave that I could have uh, helped out more at the hospital and stuff, that would have been fantastic. And I still, to this day, part of part of what drove me to start drinking as much as I did was feeling super guilty about not being around uh, Mm. at the hospital for my wife and for my daughter. And it sucked. It sucked really, really bad. But having that extra time would man i looking back like that would have just been life-changing so i'm glad to hear that that's that that's happening that's fantastic that sounds like a really uh difficult situation yeah 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 (laughs) it was really hard but uh she's a great kid and she's healthy and happy and whatever so you take her we're very lucky to star wars star wars kingdom i took her to disneyland by myself so there you go (laughs) Sorry, you got you got your uh, your paternity leave after all. It was just 10, 10, 10 years later. You know, you know what? I I every year I take her on a trip, just the two of us, and uh, I've been doing it since she was four, and it is the absolute best. And uh, yeah, I hope it goes on for a long, long time. That's very cool. Hmm. Yeah, it's all it's, right. It's a lot. Do we have so we've been talking for an hour, basically. <laughs> do we do we have any final uh, takeaways? Julie, as, as the only mom in this group, what what would you tell to uh, to any moms who are listening, who are maybe entrenched in, in why mom culture or want to maybe uh, start being more more mindful about their drinking? Um, You're welcome for putting you on the spot. <laughs> I think it, I think what I would say to moms in general is to give yourselves a break. Um, you know, it, just in what Scott just talked about, how it was guilt that, that sort of led him to drink so much. I think some of it, so much of um, the misuse or abuse of alcohol for whatever reason is so centered around being ashamed or guilty or um, about, about what's going on in your life. And there's, 
so much shame already directed at moms for how they're choosing to or how they um, are capable of raising their children. So I think rather than rather than um, say something to people trying to get out of wine mom culture, I think I would just say to all moms, you know, just give yourself a break and and try and find ways to make yourself feel good on a on a long term basis. And even as I'm saying this, it's like when you're in the trenches, it's just such stupid advice that you wouldn't want to hear, but try and find at least one friend that you can just lay it all out with, um, that understands you. And I don't know, I think the rest will follow. Free your mind and the rest will follow. What's <laughs> who's, who's saying that song? That's a On Vogue. Song. Oh, that's a banging you, ass Derek. song. You're welcome. I'm, I'm here for you. Julie, Thanks, that's that's great advice. Yes. Uh, thank thank you for joining us to discuss your experience. Uh, you're you're welcome on the podcast anytime. Thank um, you for having me. Uh, do we want to do? Oh, Julie, one thing I forgot to tell you: we always do recommendations. I don't know if you've uh, listened to an episode before, but uh, I'll I'll make Scott go first. Scott, what are you doing this week instead of drinking? Uh, drinking, but it's non-alcoholic. Oh yeah, you're uh, you're <laughs> you took your Portland trip. Uh, yeah, so we went to Portland this weekend, just Lindsay and I, and uh, I stopped. I did some research before we went down, uh, figuring that I'd be able to find some non-alcoholic beer uh, somewhere nearby, and I found uh, this giant beer and wine store called Total Wine. Actually, had like a huge selection of non-alcoholic beer. So shout out to Total Wine which is a super weird thing to shout out on a sobriety on podcast <laughs> on the wine mom uh, episode yeah on the wine mom episode but they did have an excellent selection of non-alcoholic beer and i can highly recommend hairless dog ipa as a non-alcoholic alternative for anybody that wants to drink beer but doesn't want alcohol cool nice. uh julie you got you got some um, sure. I uh, just discovered this weekend and started listening to a new podcast called The Gravy Train. Have you guys heard of this? I have not. It's all about Rob Ford, kind of his rise and fall. Um, so I think it's from CBC, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but it is it's unreal just listening to uh a quick summary of everything that actually happened um, with Rob Ford. And especially, I think, being in Vancouver, we probably didn't hear all of the ups and downs as much as people in Toronto did. Uh, but also then the parallels between Rob Ford and Donald Trump and and how much Rob Ford's campaign and election was a prelude of what was to come with Donald Trump. Um, but also significant, that. significant uh, substance abuse and alcohol abuse with that man. So yeah. uh, pretty stark um, example of what alcohol and what alcohol can do to a man and to a person and to a career. Well, and also when um, like I think the saddest thing I remember there was uh, uh, situated dur- during the peak of like Ford mania. um there was uh, a situation. He was in Vancouver for something and he was at the, I want to say the foggy Dew pub in Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there of were pictures was. Of, of him just like annihilated and like clearly unwell. Um, and I think uh, the, the saddest thing about Rob Ford was that, I mean, he was a man who was clearly uh, in the throes of, of abuse and, and misuse. And he was just surrounded by enablers who, who kind of yeah. made his, his abuse, the butt of a joke and just kept feeding him uh, drugs and alcohol so that they could have a laugh. And I think at the time, uh, I thought it was hilarious. And now looking back, I, I feel like my reaction was very cringy. Uh, and it's it's just a very sad story. Yeah. Uh, cool. OK, I have uh, piggybacking off Scott's recommendation. Mine is beverage related as well. I don't know if I did an official shout out for this last time. I think we might have discussed it either on or off air. Um, there is this drink called Hop Tea. Uh, available in the States. Uh, I think they carry it at most Whole Foods. Uh, it's basically just like black tea, cold black tea uh, with a shitload of hops in it. Uh, it is fucking delicious. It's brewed in like Denver or Boulder, Colorado. Um, it, if, if you're listening and you can get your hands on it, get some. Uh, it's, it's probably my favorite sober beverage that I've had so far. Um, and then tying into that, uh, Kate and I were in Denver last weekend and we went to a, uh, kombucha tap house, which Scott, <laughs> I know you would love. Um, it was, uh, it was actually a really cool experience. It was like, they had, you know, uh, 10, 10 or 12 different kombuchas on tap. Uh, you could buy kombucha flights. So you pick like four little mini glasses of kombucha and it was, um, it was an experience. I don't get ever as a sober guy because uh and i think that's one of the things i miss most of all is like going to like some craft brewery uh and being able to sample like four or five like micro brews uh and now you can replicate the experience with kombucha as long as you're in denver colorado yep i do that with coffee at uh fancy coffee shops sometimes they'll do uh like an espresso flight which is just the best really yeah. I'm oh, actually, yeah. You just piqued my interest with that. Do they do it anywhere in Vancouver? No, but uh, <laughs> they do it in Portland. And I uh, I happen to know a guy who owns a very nice coffee shop in Gastown. And I'm going to be talking to him about that this weekend. So, yeah, stay tuned. If if he does that, you you tell him to listen to this podcast and yeah. you have me and Julie pledging to give him a lot of money uh, if he does. Yeah, signed up. Uh, I also want to point out that we will be having our first ever uh, Van Sober discussion group slash meetup on November 26th uh, at Matchstick Coffee in Yaletown. Uh, I will be there. Scott, you will be there. I'm uh, sure trying to be there. Okay, you could have just sold. I mean, no one's going to know. Scott's going to be there. Julie is also <laughs> going to be there. Yes, I'm going to be there. Uh, and this is going to kind of be the the first kickoff. We're going to try and, and start holding uh, regular uh, discussion groups and sober activities and group fun uh, and, and things that we can do under the Van Sober umbrella. So if you live in the Vancouver uh, Regional District, please come out uh, Tuesday, November 26th at 7 p.m., uh, at Matchstick Yaletown. Yay. Cool. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks again, Julie, so much for joining us. Uh, Scott, thank you too. I guess you're always a, a fantastic co-host. Yeah, fair enough.
Uh, Julie, if, if the people <laughs> want to, uh, I know you're, you're down to a very minimal social media presence. Is there anything you want to plug here? Uh, they can get me on Instagram. It's at Julie robe, R O B E. Cool. Scott. Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at WFLBC. And yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you, if you feel so inclined, follow me on Instagram at van underscore sober. Uh, and if no one has any further business. Nope. Meet, meeting adjourned. Yeah. Disclaimer, nothing in this podcast constitutes medical or professional advice. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, there are a number of resources available. We'll link to these resources in the show notes for each episode so that you can get the support you need. 